All right, good morning, church. Our scripture reading for today is from 2 Peter, verse 3, 14 through 18. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, John. Good morning, everybody. How are you today? Good. Awesome. Good. It's good to see you, Dennis. Thanks, man. Why don't we pray and we will get right down to work this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that that would be true, not just globally, but Father, help us to pay particular attention to this room this morning and even more particular attention to our own hearts. May your kingdom come and may your will be done in my heart and in the hearts of each person here this morning. Father, we're hungry, and so we pray that you would give us today our daily bread, satisfy our souls. You know our tendency to run and pursue satisfaction in other things or people, and you would think that we would have learned by now how futile that is. So I pray that you would satisfy us uh, through your word this morning. I pray that you would incline our hearts to forgive those who have sinned against us in the same way that you have so generously and so generously forgive us and show us mercy day after day. Father, I pray that you would lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil again as our feet are so quick to run away from you and your goodness to us, um, doubting your goodness or believing that we can find what we're looking for apart from you. I pray that you would rescue us from those temptations and deliver us from those evils. Remind us again this morning that it's your kingdom and your power and your glory so that our hearts will be led to repent of the ways this week in which we lived to kind of build our own kingdoms or living under our own self-perceptions of power or the ways in which we've lived for our own fame or for our own glory. We want to turn from those and gladly live in the reality that it's your kingdom, your power, and your glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we finish up our five-week journey through the book of 2 Peter. We've really had a lot of fun over the last nine months. Um, honestly, at the beginning of the year, at the end of last year, when we put the sermon calendar together for this year, um, there were other motivations for the books that we chose. But honestly, what we, the question that we asked was, what are some of the most obscure books in the Old Testament and New Testament that people never get to hear preached? And let's preach those. 
And so we chose some really short and obscure books, mostly prophets from the Old Testament, loved them. And we've picked books like Jude. We finished Jude before Second Peter, and now Second Peter. Um, we hit the second and third John, not the first John. You all have said, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've been through plenty of sermons in first John, but probably not very many in second or third. Uh, so our journey through second Peter kind of culminates that, or we're kind of nearing the finish line of those obscure books that, um, don't get the attention that they deserve next week. Uh, our, the newest member of our pastoral team, Vince will preach his first sermon from us or for us. He'll be in the Psalms. Uh, the next week, Jason, uh, another member of our pastoral team, he will also preach from the Psalms. And believe it or not, that's the Sunday preceding Thanksgiving already. Uh, yeah, right? And then we'll kick off our Advent series in Isaiah. I'm very excited about that. So let's finish our work in, in 2 Peter, shall we? Our theme all along has been family reminders, enduring gospel realities. If you're Visiting with us today or new, we know that Peter, an apostle, uh, wrote this letter very near the end of his life. He was a dying man. He says so in chapter one. And so he says, look, I want to write down for you some of what I feel to be the most important realities of being a follower of Jesus. These are enduring realities. They go, they transcend time. They never change. We shape our lives by these things. So this is a letter from a dying man who is very passionate about helping young followers of Jesus, like us, learn what it looks like to follow Jesus in a broken world. And uh, I think we've seen that, right? Over the last five weeks, here's, here's what we've seen. These were kind of the big ideas that we saw in each portion of his letter. Uh, the first one, Ron preached this one for us, Jesus called us. Like he, he called us personally into his family. Jesus' call is a personal and a powerful call in the same way that he personally and powerfully called Lazarus from the dead. He called to a dead man and he said, Lazarus, come alive, come out. Lazarus rose from the dead and walked himself out of that grave. And Jesus' call of us is no less powerful and no less personal. He looked at me and he said, John, come alive. And his call was effective in bringing my heart to life and bringing my body, bringing my soul out of the deadness of rebellion and giving me life in the same way that he gives Lazarus life. We know from the New Testament that that call is irrevocable. If Jesus calls you to life, he keeps you for life. The Father adopts for keeps. And speaking of Lazarus and death and graves, look, the New Testament, if it's nothing else, it's honest. We live in a broken world that is hostile to the king and creator of the universe. And there is a deadness all around us and a darkness all around us. And so a psalm like, hey, the, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death is very meaningful to us. It's real. We, we live in the valley of the shadow of death. And if it were not for God's word, we would be completely blind to the realities in which we live. We would stumble in the valley of the shadow of death. We wouldn't see our reality clearly, and we wouldn't see uh, where Jesus is taking us. But he doesn't just call us. He gives us his word, and his word is our light. Now, the extent to which you see in this broken world is directly related to your willingness to look into the word. 
If you will look into and listen to the word as though it's your father's voice speaking to you, the darkness around you is illuminated. The clouds are dispelled, confusion gives place to clarity. Jesus' word is our light. Then we learn that Jesus knows how to rescue us, and that's good news for a lot of reasons. Earlier this week, Owen took a picture of uh, a Minecraft world that he was working on, and then he said, Dad, do you think you could use this in your sermon this week? (laughs) If you remember during the summertime, our sermon series, Ordinary People, Gospel Power, uh, in which our kids were very involved, we had some Minecraft screens. Um, So I said, of course, Owen, yes, there's, uh, of course we can, but we hadn't really found a place for it. Last night he was up late. And so he came and sat down with me. We sipped my peppermint tea together, and we found the place for this slide in our sermon. Jesus knows how to rescue me. All right, go ahead, Minecraft world. You may not be able to tell, but that picture is at the top of a mountain, and kind of the brown structure is a ship. If you've played Minecraft, you know that there are shipwrecks scattered around the maps, right? You do play Minecraft, some of you, yeah? Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, three of us. Anyway, the absurdity of a mountain being at the top of a ship is the same level of absurdity as, as, as for us living apart from the creator who gave us life and is our king. And we are confident that we know what we're doing apart from Jesus and we sail to faraway places and we find ourselves at the top of a mountain as a broken, grounded ship, completely unable to rescue ourselves, physically unable, spiritually unable, and not even knowing how. And we look at a picture like this and we're like, that's absurd. Yes, it is. It is equally absurd to live in rebellion to the God who created us. And in that absurdity, we go to faraway places where we find ourselves completely unable to accomplish our own rescue. The gospel is very clear with that. There is no self-rescuing. The good news of the gospel is Jesus knows how to rescue you. He knows how to rescue you in all of your shipwrecked seasons pre-Christ. And when, as a follower of Jesus, for whatever reason, we make those crazy choices to get right back on that same ship that we shipwrecked in and sail away from our King Jesus... He still knows how to rescue us, and he's good, and he's kind, and his promise to his kids is, I will always rescue you, and I will always bring you back home. Oh, and that was good, dude. And then we had my journal, and so you drew a picture, right? You drew a cross, and then you drew Jesus on the cross, and he drew a thought bubble. Like, we were finishing talking about that picture, and I'm like, what's the thought bubble for, Owen? And Owen said, while Jesus was on the cross, he was thinking about how to rescue me. And I think that's really profound, buddy. That's really good. That's exactly what Jesus was thinking about as he pursued us. He knew how to rescue us, and he accomplished that good work. And then last week, we learned that Jesus is coming back, and that's really good news. It's the day where all everything sad will become untrue. Uh, righteousness will be implemented. All injustice from the world will be not only eradicated, but judged. There will be justice. Nobody will escape justice. No injustice escapes Jesus' attention, and so when he returns, all of the sad things will come untrue. What we'll see this morning is kind of a reminder a little bit from last week. We saw it in the passage, but we see it again today, and it says Jesus is patient. He's patient. Uh, what we may, we may feel like is delay from Jesus and not returning soon enough, he's not delaying, he's being patient. We learned last week 
that the Father desires that everyone would come to repentance, believing him and turning to him as, his, as their rescuing king, rather than dying in their rebellion and facing judgment. He's not delaying, he's showing mercy by being patient. And since our God is a patient God, that means we are going to be awaiting people. Let me show you this in verse 14 of chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles open, if not, it'll be on the screen there for you. Just the first line. It says, therefore, beloved, since you are what? Waiting. Waiting. Hey, if Jesus is patient, it means you're waiting. He's not in a hurry. So welcome. If you're part of God's family, brand new or just learning about the gospel, uh, there are a lot of things we hope to be true of our family. One of those is that we are a waiting family. Jesus is not in a hurry, and neither are we. He's waiting. So what Peter gives us in these closing remarks of his letter, I like to characterize this way. This is Peter's ABCs of waiting for Jesus. In other words, he says, since you're waiting for these, these being Jesus' return, uh, the day when all of the, the sad things come untrue, the new heaven, the new earth. Since you're waiting for these things, here's how you should live in the waiting. And here they are. Here are Peter's ABCs for waiting. Diligently and daily align with Jesus, befriend his patience, and cultivate relationship with him. As awaiting people, Peter calls us to diligently and daily align our lives with Jesus, to befriend his patience, and to cultivate relationship with him. Let me just show you where I see those in the text so you don't think I'm just like trying to think of a creative sentence and words to say in a sermon. Here's the first one, again, in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent. There's our diligent word. And the sense is, you're not, you're not diligent once. This is a daily practice. So daily diligent to be found by him when he returns without spot or blemish and at peace. And then also down in verse 15, he says, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. I'm going to talk about how, why I feel like that, that, that would suggest to us that we need to befriend his patience. And I'll show you what I mean by that. And then down a little bit further, we'll cover, we'll cover the ground in between here in a moment. But a little bit further in verse 18, he says, I want you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do we know about the word grace? What's it mean? Gift, unmerited. You, all you do is receive grace. So I would suggest to you that the word grace suggests to us nothing but need. So the relationship that we are cultivating with Jesus is one where we are the needy partner. We need, we're just asking, we need grace, and he takes delight in giving. In other words, we're kids. We need to cultivate a childlike posture of the relationship of a son or a daughter to God and grow in neediness receiving grace from God. Okay, so I'll show you what Peter means by that. Okay, so the ABCs of living as a waiting family as we await Jesus' return for us. Now, briefly, those two words that we began our sentence with, diligently and daily. Um, Peter uses that word diligently. What does the word diligently call to mind for you? 
Effort, yeah. Any other synonyms that we would use? So good, effort's fantastic. Persistence, consistency. Consistency, persistence, pursuit. Purpose. Purpose. Discipline. Discipline, good. We got that this weekend at the men's retreat. Boys, a whole bunch of discipline. So all of these synonyms, we could agree, um, if we wanted to pick one word, we could safely pick the word work. Would that be fair? Guys, what Peter is calling us to, family, what Peter is calling us to is straight up work. If you are going to live as a part of this waiting family and align your life with Jesus, befriend his patience, and cultivate relationship with him, you are called to work. It will cost you. You will have to give certain things up. You will have to reprioritize. You will have to sacrifice. But a waiting life in which we are aligned with Jesus doesn't happen on its own. It happens as the result of hard work. Now, as Christians, especially in certain circles, we get super nervous whenever we get start talking about work as it relates to our relationship. But let's just make one thing clear. Let's make, let's, let's, the gospel makes this clear. It takes a ton of work for you to be rescued. Everybody's like, faith and works, what's the relationship? I don't, uh, w- what does work have to do with my, my salvation? Everything. But not yours. It's all Jesus' work, okay? So what Peter is saying is not, hey, fam, I want you to work for this thing so that you can be saved. He's not asking you to work for anything. Jesus worked for your rescue. And what did he say on the cross? It's finished. He's the only one that can say it's finished because you never will. Jesus can say it is finished. He did all of the work necessary for us to be reconciled to the Father. Every every piece of work is done. So now, when we are called to work as followers of Jesus, we're not called to work for something. We're called to work from something. And there's a very important difference. You're not working for anything. You are called kept, adopted in, forgiven, perfectly loved, all the things, forever kept. And so you're given the position of a son or a daughter. You don't earn it. Jesus earned it for you. You don't keep it. Jesus keeps it for you. So now as followers of Jesus, we learn to work from that new identity, not for it. Jesus earned it for you. Okay. However, that being said, it doesn't minimize the weight of the word that Peter gives us here. We are called to work hard, diligently for these things that Peter will describe, okay? And it's daily. Sometimes, unfortunately, we've grown up in a westernized culture, uh, cultural Christianity in which it's almost sufficient enough to have prayed a prayer at youth camp or to have been baptized at seven, as if those acts or those words forever aligned my life with Jesus, forever befriended me to his patience, and forever cultivated the fullest degree of relationship that I need with my dad, but the, the, the posture of all of these verbs that Peter uses is that they are a daily expression. We daily align with Jesus, we daily befriend his patience, and we daily cultivate a childlike relationship with our dad. So let's hit them in order, align with Jesus. We see that in verse 15. No, we don't. That's 1 John. Verse 14 of 2 Peter chapter 3. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Let's work backwards through that verse. 
If you are going to live a life that is aligned with Jesus, you will work for peace. Now, like we said before, you can't make peace with God the Father. Ephesians is very clear about that. It says that Jesus actually made peace for us, right? He tore down this dividing wall that separated us, our sin and our rebellion, God's justice and righteousness. He tears that down and he makes peace for us with the Father. But now as followers of Jesus, as sons or daughters, it's work to live within that peace, right? We, we work at staying close to the Father. We work at, at identifying those tendencies that we have where we tend to step away from our Father and live beyond the good limits that he has given to us. And so it is real work for us daily to live within the reality of the peace that Jesus has made for us with the Father. So... When Peter says to be at peace, he's calling us as sons and daughters of God to daily work at living within the peace that Jesus has made for us with God the Father. But it doesn't stop there. He's calling for us to be at peace with ourselves and our own soul. And many of us in this room have a lot of work to do. And can I just be honest with you? You probably can't do all of this work yourself. You need trusted Christian fathers and mothers and trusted Christian counselors who will be skilled at helping you deep dive in your heart and ask questions and bring healing and restore peace where there may not be peace in your soul. It's not going to happen on its own. It's not a magic trick. You go pursue that peace with the help of other people who love Jesus. Peace with God, peace in your own soul, and peace with each other. I love this verse from Romans 12:18. It says this, if possible, so far as it depends on who? Yeah, me, you, me, us. You live peaceably with all. In other words, you, as much as it depends upon you, you choose to live at peace with those who choose not to live at peace with you. You choose to work towards peace with your enemies, your antagonists, your neighbors who despise you, your work um, your bosses at work who may abuse you or malign you, we live at, we pursue peace. We do the things that produce peace. Now, there's a family reality here too, because can we just be honest for a second? Probably the most difficult space to maintain peace or produce peace is where? Within the four walls of your own home. So that's true for your, your own organic family units, right? And many of us this morning, if we went around the room, I bet... 90, 95% of us could describe a family relationship or dynamic in which peace is not present right now, right? It's hard work. But family, we have our own four walls too. This is a family. And the most difficult place to work for peace is within the relationships of this family right here. It's also one of the most important dynamics of our family life together because in the, we talked about a safe harbor a couple weeks ago for our church family. When there is no peace in the water here, people who are not yet part of the family, people who don't yet know Jesus, who desperately need peace, when they should look to us and see, wow, there's a community of peace, like there must actually be something to this gospel, there must actually be something to Jesus if peace is absent we tell a lie about the nature of our Father, and we tell a lie about the nature of the gospel. Now, I just want to commend you. Look, there's not a day that goes by that we don't need to work towards peace with each other, but I want to commend you as a family. It is a real joy to be one of your pastors. 
Working towards peace doesn't mean that we stay away from hard conversations. It means that we lean into those hard conversations with grace and humility. And from my perspective of one of your pastors, I, I feel strongly that you are a family. We're not perfect. We are well aware of this. But you work hard for peace as a family. And I want to commend you for that because it displays the beauty of the gospel. And it's not to suggest that we're perfect. It's not to suggest that there's not yet peace that we need to keep pursuing and working for. What I want to commend is that you are working for that peace. You are working to cultivate it. I see grace shown. I see mercy demonstrated. And I see postures of humility all over the place. And I want you to know it is incredibly beautiful and life-giving. Yeah, I want you to know that. So Peter calls us to work for peace. Now let's keep working backwards as we consider aligning ourselves with Jesus. You're like, John, why do you say align with Jesus? He says, look, since you're waiting, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. There's our key right there. Those words are actually applied to Jesus. Peter does this in his first letter. Here it is, uh, 119. Let me just turn there so I can read the preceding verse. He says, um, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Same exact phrase. So he applies that to who Jesus is. Jesus was the only lamb without blemish or spot. If you're new to the gospel, he refers to Jesus as a lamb in fulfillment of some promises from uh, scriptures long ago, prophecies long ago. A lamb was a sacrificial animal and only a spotless lamb could be sacrificed. So Jesus came as the true and better lamb, if you will, truly spotless, righteous, perfect, without sin, without rebellion, and he was, he was our sacrificial lamb, taking the judgment that we deserved in our place so that we could receive his rightness or his righteousness. Okay, so Jesus is the lamb without spot or blemish. So now when Peter uses these words in verse 14, be found by him when he returns without our own spots or blemishes, that would mean to live a life that is aligned with the character and the nature of Jesus, right? Uh, we further see this, look at this in verse 4 of chapter 1, right, of Second Peter. We saw this a couple weeks ago. It says this, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Right? That means we're part of God's family, we're sons and daughters. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So the life of a follower of Jesus could kind of be summed up in two phases. There's a third, but let me just give you the first two. The first one is, I escaped. Not through my own work, right? Jesus did the work so that I could escape. I've escaped the corruption of my own rebel life, life beyond the limits, gave John Ransom all kinds of blemishes and all kinds of stain. Jesus rescues me from that corruption and adopts me into his family, and then the rest of my life is spent learning how to live as an escapee from that corruption as a son or as a daughter, so I've, I've escaped past tense. What did Jesus say on the cross? finished. That work is done, escaped by faith in the work of Jesus, but now the rest of my life is by faith learning how to live a life aligned with Jesus because I have renounced my own authority over my life, my own kingship. Jesus is my king, so I live in submission to him. 
So let me just ask you, if you were discipling, if you were mentoring someone, teaching them how to live as a follower of Jesus, you had to make a top three list. Probably not fair to do with the teachings of Jesus, but let's just say hypothetically you did it. What would be the top three ways from Jesus' own mouth or teaching from the apostles in the New Testament that we would align our lives with Jesus? What comes to your mind? You can go top one. It might be a little intimidating to shout out three. What, what, would, be, what would be one thing that you would put on your list? All right. Love of neighbor, okay? You want to align your life with Jesus. It's a daily choice to love unlovable people, okay? So let's, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, like, his first point is incredible work. Who wants to love unlovable people? Not me. I want to love myself, and I love, want to love people that are nice to me. So if you're going to follow Jesus, it means you're going to do the work of loving unlovable people. That's good. Thanks, Brett. What else? What do you mean? Mm. Okay, yeah. It is real work to reorient your life around a life of faith in the work of Jesus rather than confidence in your own work. That's good. What else? No condemnation, and actually believing that when I fail and fail again, uh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Good. What else? This is fun. This is the easy way to preach a sermon. You ask a question, then you'll have to preach it for you. Keep going, guys. You're doing great work. It was a late night. No, I'm just messing. That's not what I'm doing. Give me a couple more. How would we align ourselves with Jesus? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him. Yeah. Mm. We saw that in the garden, right? Jesus did not want to go to the cross. He was agonizing over what was to come. And he said to the Father, if there's any way this, this cup could be taken from me, I, I want to drink this. Please, please, another way. But then he said at the end of the day, Father, what do you say? So when PCS cycle comes, if you want to live a life aligned with Jesus, Father, not, not my will. Like you send me where you need me to be even if it's the hardest place and the last place I would pick for myself, right? Like these are real tangible ways our lives actually align with Jesus. It's not theory, right? Religion is not an opiate for the masses. It's, this is real stuff that costs. One more. All right, I'll go. I think about this Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They'll be satisfied. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. Uh, blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. Like eyes to really see the brokenness in the world and the way that image bearers of God are oppressed and abused. And rather than arguing about the ideas of injustice, lamenting and, and mourning the realities of injustice in our world. Um, yeah, there's so many ways. Can't really come up with a list of top three, can we? It's daily, right? So we align with Jesus as, as our king. As a waiting people, Peter, as a dying man, a follower of Jesus who would love us like his own son, says, son, daughter, look, if you're going to live well as you wait for Jesus to return, it's going to require that you, you, you begin your day by aligning yourself with Jesus and you finish your day by confessing the ways in which you did not align, thanking God for his grace, going to sleep, getting up, and praying again, Father, help me to live a life that is aligned with who Jesus is as my king. 
All right, let's press on. If you are going to commit yourself to aligning with Jesus, do you feel like you can get that done as part of a New Year's resolution? 2023 will be the year that you align perfectly with Jesus. Would that be a realistic way to coach somebody or kind of help them follow Jesus? What would be a more realistic expectation to give a new follower of Jesus? I'm sorry, I got two at once. I'll go John. It's going to take a long time. How long, John? The rest of your life. Of your life. What did you say, Dennis? Yeah, daily. Daily for the rest of your life. And that is why you need to befriend his patience. That's what Peter means when he says, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. And then he said, Paul wrote the same thing, right? Just as our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. He says, in fact, verse 16, he goes on. He says, he, he did this in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. If you're going to commit yourself to aligning with Jesus, you're going to have to befriend his patience or you will wear yourself out and you'll quit. Um, I think in religion, we tend to befriend something other than Jesus' patience. I think we befriend our own performance and we count on our performance as our salvation. Look at me. I used to be this, this, and this. I used to do that and all these things. But now look, we count on performance there's some pride there. There's some self. Honestly, it's kind of scary because all of the tendencies that get revealed that we express when we count our, on our performance, they're all related to the very same tendencies that we lived in when we were rebels, not sons and daughters, right? So we count on, on his patience, not performance, not other people. Don't put your hopes in other people. Don't put your hopes in other, like in religious platforms. Uh, and since we're going with P words, we've got people, performance, pride, um, pillar, church, the church that you're currently attending. Um, there are no perfect churches in this world, and if we count on the current church that we are a part of, uh, all of our hope is there. You're just going to be disappointed and crushed. You count on the patience of Jesus for your salvation, right? Imagine a life that didn't count on the patience of Jesus. Like, when's the last time you failed? In, like, so we know we're supposed to align with Jesus. What did yesterday look like? Let's just play this game if we're going to count on our performance. What did yesterday look like? Is there, was there any expression in your life that was not aligned with who Jesus is? What he loves, what he hates, what he's passionate about? Did we all fall short yesterday? So then what happens if it's your performance? Are you in? Are you out? Are you a fraud? Are you a hypocrite? Like, what are you? Are you under judgment still? Are you a son? Are you a daughter? That life will wear you out. It'll crush your soul, and you will, you will tap out. And so Peter says, look, if you're going to commit yourself to a life of learning to align with Jesus as your king, you're going to have to befriend your patience, because that gives you the freedom then every night to say to Jesus, Jesus, I really wanted to live today aligned with your, patient, with, your, with, with, with your character, and I failed. And so I'm just here to say once again, thank you for your patience with me, because if it was up to my performance, I would be a wreck. I'd be out of the family. So thank you that you are more committed to keeping me in the family than I am, committed, than I am at keeping myself in. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning so that when I wake up tomorrow morning, and I pray my prayer, Jesus, please help me to live a life that's in alignment with yours. 
You don't laugh at me because my 364 days of failure preceding this, you look at me with love in your eyes and you give me the grace that I need to live that life and the mercy to forgive when I fail. We want to be this kind of family. It's beautiful to live a life aligned with the character of Jesus. That's what we were created for. And if you're a son or a daughter, that's what's coming. That's what the day of the Lord is. Everything in this world will align with the character of Jesus, and it will be incredibly beautiful. Imagine the foretaste of the kingdom come now. If entire families of Jesus around the world simplified things this much and said, we will commit today to live a life aligned with Jesus, but our culture is not a hostile one where we crush people who fail, our, the culture of our family will be one shaped by Jesus' own patience in the same way he's patient with us, we will choose to be patient with each other. And in the same way I can't change my own heart, I will choose to live a life believing that I can't change you either and that we are all at the mercy of Jesus. We befriend his patience and we count his patience as our ultimate salvation, not our performance. This is not a performing culture family. This is a family where we all show up and say, Look at how poorly I performed this. Maybe it is a performing culture. It's a performing culture in the sense that our hope is in Jesus' performance, not our own, right? Let's reject cultural Christianity. It's a poison and it crushes the souls of people or it allows people to live on in rebellion to God, clothed in the attire of Christianity, but it's all a lie. Alignment with Jesus, befriend his patience, uh, I like that one. I'm just going to preach for five minutes about befriending patience during my sermons. But you guys already do that so well. You're so patient with me. Uh, I really appreciate that. Let's get to our third point, cultivating relationship with him. Because this is, this is honestly, this is how we live lives that are aligned. And this is how we befriend his patience. Uh, Peter's thought actually begins, uh, so I'm going to, where, where do I have a starting on the screen? Perfect, 16. Okay. Remember he gives a head nod to Paul? Remember? All right, so check this out. I love this. He goes, um, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these things. Now, my favorite, my favorite line. There are some things in Paul's letters that are really hard to understand, to which I just put my Bible down and I say, thank you, Peter. Somebody had to say it. Thank you. He gives us all permission to be like, Yo, I, I have no idea what he's saying. Like, don't look at me as your pastor. Peter just said, I got no clue what Paul was saying right there. No idea. Um, let's also be a family that's okay with that. It is okay for you to, to wrestle with certain things. And when people ask you what something may mean in the Bible that's just not clear, I mean, just tell them. I, man, I, I, I don't know. There are enough things in, in Scripture that are so abundantly clear. We're good. Nothing's in doubt here, like, like we're good. But there are a lot of things that are, thanks to Paul, really difficult to understand, right? Uh, so Peter gives us permission to acknowledge that. I'm just thankful it came from one of the apostles, right? And uh, I'm sure they've had a lot of fun conversations. Um, I'm looking forward to saying the same thing to Paul myself. <laughs> I bet you he's in protective custody in heaven. <laughs> Not custody. What's the, uh, when you get a new identity and go somewhere else? Witness protection. That's what I mean, not custody. I mean, witness protection. Paul's got his own little space, right? There are some things in them that are hard to understand, uh, but here, here's, what, here's what matters to us, all kidding aside. Here, here's what's really important. 
There are things that are hard to understand, but there is a danger. He says there, the, those who are ignorant or unstable, that's a key word, it's going to come up later, uh, they twist Scripture, especially those things that are hard to understand, but all Scripture, uh, they twist to their own destruction as they do other Scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, you, you, knowing this beforehand, like you know, look, this isn't, what we need to know beforehand is it's not their tendency, it's my tendency. And when he's talking about twisting scripture, let's, let's keep that in mind of life in alignment with Jesus. There is a way in which we can approach the Bible where we use it as a book to justify the way that we have chosen to live. There is a way that we can take our own understanding, our own interpretation of the Bible and make, you're not living with the Bible as the authoritative rule in your life. You're not living with the gospel as the authoritative rule or Jesus' words. You're living with your own interpretation of the Bible as your authoritative rule. And what we do in our sneaky, kind of conniving rebel hearts is we will twist to justify a life that's actually not in alignment with Jesus, but we will argue that it is. And we will justify our existence beyond God's good limits, the very place where we incurred all the stain, all those spots, and all those blemishes. You therefore, beloved, knowing that this is your tendency, you take care Pay attention. That's a working phrase again. Do work so that you also are not carried away with that same error. So that's our tendency, right? Uh, he says these are lawless people, lawless because they are rejecting Jesus' authority and they are using the ambiguity of certain passages to kind of assert their own or our own authority. But what he says is when you do this, you lose your own stability, And then he states it positively or gives us a solution to this in verse 18. He says, but I want you instead, you commit yourself to growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there are two ways you can approach the Bible. One way is that you twist it to your own uh, life. But Peter warns that if you approach Scripture in a way that you approach it to justify your lifestyle or your political views or your uh, social views or your own life choices. You are, you are making choices that will contribute to your own destruction. And he uses the word unstable. You'll have no stability in life. So that's one way to approach the Bible. The other way that he's giving us, the true and better way, is that rather than using, rather than uh, twisting scripture um, and leading to our dis destruction, we would allow Scripture to turn our hearts back to the Father as needy sons and daughters. We would allow what's clear in Scripture to give us a beautiful and clear picture of who our God is as our dad. And then here are our two key words right here. Uh, don't be carried away. Don't lose your own stability. You instead grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Knowledge is a relational word, okay? So he's not calling us to be encyclopedias and just have just um, no shade CCers, but don't just learn a song with a lot of words in it, okay? Like we're going for relationship here. So that word relational knowledge coupled with grace is right back where we started. What does grace mean? need. I need. There is a way that you can live life that will lead you to be incredibly unstable. And that way is I have what I need. And I'm going to use scripture to justify the way that I live this autonomous, independent, good Christian life that will destroy you. Rather, you can 
you can come to the word. And um, what we need to understand too is the word, what Peter's getting at, the word is the way in which we live in aligned life to Jesus, okay? And so we go to the word and we allow this word to turn our hearts to the Father and to drive down deep into us every morning when I get out of bed, there's one thing that I need, and that is grace from my Father. Because I need everything from the Father. I am completely dependent upon him. So Peter wants us to see ourselves as needy, dependent kids so that every day we understand that if I'm going to live a life in alignment to Jesus, I need everything from the Father to make this happen. And I posture myself as a child with open hands and very ironically pray a prayer very similar to what he gave his disciples when they're like, yo, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? What did he teach them? How's it start? Dad. And what's the first, after they kind of acknowledge who dad is, what would they say? Give me. Give me. Please give me today my daily bread. An aligned life begins with the acknowledgement that I need everything from the Father, and it leads to an open mouth every morning where I come to my dad and I say, Dad, here I am again, and I need. And I thank you that you take real joy in having a bunch of needy kids, and you've demonstrated to us when you gave us Jesus that you would withhold no good thing from us when we ask according to your will. I don't know entirely what your will is for my life, but here I am again, hungry, needy. Please give me exactly what I need today to align myself with Jesus and to live within your will for your fame and for the good of other people. That is a life aligned, by, uh, aligned with Jesus. All right, let's put those, those words back up on the screen as we finish. Let's spend a few moments in reflection and then uh, Grant and the team will come and one of our pastors will lead us in a prayer of confession. I just, would you be willing to consider with me? Um, not, let's be careful here. Let's frame this question the right way. Don't ask, is there an area of my life that's currently out of alignment with Jesus? Let's ask the better, more honest question. Where in my life am I currently not aligned with Jesus? Like, let's assume those areas exist. Where in my life have I befriended my performance more than I have befriended his patience? And can we just ask one more honest question? Men, I know you've been, those of you who went to the men's retreat, you've already been wrestling with this question for a few days now. Can we just answer honestly, am I doing the work of cultivating a relationship with the Father as a needy child? And Grant, if you want to come, and who is leading us in prayer? I'm sorry I didn't write that down. All right, come on down, Ron. Um, let's pray together as a family, and let's confess these things. And as we do, let's remember, Jesus' patience is our best friend. And we, when we humble ourselves and confess our sins, not only does he forgive us, not only does he cleanse us, he gives us the grace that we need to live as aligned sons and daughters.